Welcome to the Health Hour. It's uh, 1 p.m. or just past it on uh, Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Witt, as always, uh, for the next uh, few shows, uh, I will actually be leaving the Health Hour at the end of the year, but um, let's have some fun for the next few shows. I know, I know Duncan, it's very upsetting. Um, but you you will go on without me, you see. This is, it, it's life. Uh, all right, so uh, great show lined up. Um, starting off the day, we don't have Catherine uh, doing the uh, health news as usual. Um, she's uh, in Chicago currently freezing her ass off. So we'll uh, go straight into the show with our guest in studio. We're going to be talking about congenital heart defects. Um, more from the uh, family side of things, from a mom's perspective. Uh, so we'll try to tone down the medical side uh, for a week. And uh, towards the end of the show, we've got uh, Ava Vechte and Hama Brody. Both have written uh, conflicting articles on uh, e-cigarettes, so we should have an interesting discussion on, on that. Um, let's kick straight in. Um, my guest in studio is Bev Ownhaus. Um, Bev is from Heart Kids, uh, which is a uh, group uh, advocating for support for parents with kids with congenital heart, heart defects. Have right. I got it right? That's right. That's right. Okay, tell us more about Heart Kids, uh, and then we'll get we'll get some more sort of uh, meat behind your story. So Heart Kids is a project which was initiated by SOFT. Now SOFT is a non-profit organization and they um, advocate for kids with long-term um, chronic illnesses. Mm. And in 2013, a group of moms who have kids who have um, congenital heart defects approached SOFT to ask them to help with the awareness and that's how Heart Kids started. And um, th- there's definitely a need for it in South Africa. Mm. Um, we're getting bigger. And, yeah, that's... In terms of uh, congenital heart defects, I, I know you're not you're not a doctor. Um, are you? <laughs> no. Okay, so... I've Googled a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dangerous as all hell. Okay, so um, you're a mom with Dr. Google. Um, <laughs> but assumptively, you've uh, had a lot of interaction with uh, with cardiothoracic surgeons, yeah. pediatric surgeons, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, what's your idea in terms of from Heart Kids perspective of how big the problem is? Uh, you know, how many people are we talking? How many kids a year? So worldwide, mm. one in 100 babies will be born with a congenital heart defect. So that means in South Africa, 27 babies are born with it every day. Mm-hmm. The bad news is that only 10 of these babies will be diagnosed. So I'm... 17 babies a day missed, are being missed or misdiagnosed even. Mm. Um, the stats for SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome, is mm. that almost 25%, they say between 25% and a third mm. of those deaths are because of a missed congenital heart defect. Sure. So I think uh, just to um, give some info to the listeners, um, so firstly, congenital heart defects, we're talking about things like uh, holes in the wall of the heart. Yeah. Um, so essentially, yeah. Uh, when you when you're a fetus, when you're still in your mom, uh, you've you've got a hole in in your heart which is meant to be there. Yes, yes. And um, that makes sure blood doesn't go to your lungs because you're not breathing while you're in the womb. Yeah. Uh, and uh, once you take that first breath. Uh, there are a whole bunch of chemical changes that are meant to happen and that hole's meant to close. Yeah. So that's one congenital heart defect, but there's a whole bunch of others. Uh, there are about 35 mm. of them. 
Um, and basically, it's that there's an abnormality with the structure of the heart. Yeah, so it, so it yeah. could be that, that hole in the wall. So the hole in the heart is something people kind of have been saying forever. It's sort of yes. a lay, layman's term. <laughs> um, but there's lots of different things that can go wrong. Something called uh, transposition of the great vessels, where you get the vessels the kind of the wrong way around. Yeah. Um, you get syndromes where there's valve problems and also vessel problems and holes. Yeah. Um, and there can be holes in different places. Yeah. So it, it's obviously quite broad. It's very broad. My son had hyperplastic left heart syndrome, mm. which means that the left side of his heart was completely underdeveloped. It was mm. basically non-existent. So he mm. had half a heart, basically. Mm. And, and I mean, the left side is the side that's got to pump all the blood to the body. <laughs> that, so yeah, if you, that's if, the side if we there's need. any side you want to have like good musculature, yeah. it's that side and your son was without it. So tell us a little bit about your sort of story. So he, um. How old is he? No, he's passed away. Okay. I'm yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. He, uh, he, uh, survived for 27 days. Okay. Um, but we didn't know. It wasn't diagnosed during pregnancy. Mm. So my whole pregnancy, I mean, I went to private hospital. I had two gynecologists. Mm. My whole pregnancy, the words were textbook pregnancy, textbook <laughs> pregnancy, textbook pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and then the night he was born, um, they first thought there was something wrong with his lungs because they said they didn't take that he didn't take a that big gasp of air that they needed that babies need to take, um, and then they said okay one night in ICU two nights in ICU, and eventually there was a pediatric cardiologist there, mm. um, and he had a look at him and then he thought that his heart was something that the, he's never seen before like hasn't been written about in textbooks. Mm. Uh, but then after doing, after three days later, they realized it was hyperplastic left heart syndrome, just a very bad version, version. of it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, um, when was this? I mean, in October, he was born in 23rd of September this year. Okay, yeah. Sure. So yeah. it's, it's all quite recent. And, yeah. And it's, it's fresh. Yeah. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, your first kid, I mean, or, or, yeah. Wow. Well, that's, it's a lot first. to deal with. Hey? Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's tough, uh, but you know, if, if my story can uh, prevent another parent going through this trauma, mm. um, then it's worth it. Something good has to come out of it. Yeah. It's, it's a great attitude to, to come away with it from. Um, look, I mean, uh, it's difficult firstly to diagnose necessarily while the kid is, uh, is, is, is in the womb, in, in the uterus still. It's, it's, yeah. um, you know, there are scans that can be done. Was there a feeling that something had been missed? No, really. Okay. I think yeah. I knew something was wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know what. I mean, sure. my heart, the whole pregnancy, I was like, what if something's wrong? What if something's wrong? And I drove everyone, my family, my friends crazy. I just thought you were just being <laughs> yeah. neurotic. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, so in a way, I feel like I was, I was prepared. Call it mother's instinct mm. or what? Cause, mm. you know, I, I think when it, the diagnosis happened, I, it, I was able to deal with it much better. You weren't shocked almost. No, cause I knew. Okay, I, I knew he was going to be a special boy. Yeah, you know, I didn't know it was going to be this uh, hectic. Yeah, uh, but I knew it was going to be a special boy. Shame. Yeah. Um. So I mean, assumptively, he was in ICU his whole yeah. life, essentially, yeah. twenty-seven days. Twenty-seven days. Yeah. In ICU, you obviously there twenty-seven days. Twenty-seven days. <laughs> lived, lived at a day. the hospital almost. I did. I know. I know Shame. all the waiters by name at the cafe. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So. 
look, as you say, you want to you want to turn it into into something good. It it, it is some it's a problem um, countrywide. You're coming from the perspective that you're in private healthcare. Yeah. Um. It it was missed. Yeah. Um. But not. We don't want to say missed in that the doctors did anything wrong. It's it's not always something you can it's pick up easy, necessarily. Yeah. Um. And uh, Duncan's just uh, putting on my screen as a question come through what what caused what caused it. Okay. Um, I, I can answer a little bit, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> so there's there's not actually a um, we don't know why it happens. Sure. Um, about ninety five percent of the time, it's just something that's happened. It's just almost like the instruction when when. You know, the chromosomes and everything mm. are writing mm. the, or the instructions to develop the fetus. The instructions to, to develop the heart wasn't written properly. If yeah. I put it in very layman's yep. terms. Am yeah, I no, right? Uh, that, that's, that's about correct. I mean, there's, there's a couple of different things that can happen. Yeah. Um, and once again, I'm not a cardiologist, <laughs> but, but this is going back to my medical school training and my, my, uh, fetal, uh, training. Um, essentially, you're 100% right. Either uh, the code that's writing, um, that particular area, because you remember that's all your DNA, your chromosomes are. They're code. Mm-hmm. They're a map for how to build a human. Uh, and at some point, something goes wrong in that. Um, it's, uh, we know with certain conditions, for instance, spina bifida, which is where you have, um, deformity in the spinal cord and, and you can actually have spinal cord outside of the body. Um, those, those kids, uh, often there might have been a nu- nutritional deficiency in mom sometime in the pregnancy, not anything, you know, that she might have even known about. So this is why we give uh, women, uh, vitamins during pregnancy. A folic acid. Uh, folic acid. Yeah. There you go. So, so, you know, because, uh, it's quite complex to build a baby. Yeah. Um, and so there is stuff that can go wrong, unfortunately. That's just the way it is. The other thing that can happen is, um, this wouldn't be in your kid's example, but 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 in uh, the example of the hole in the heart, which is probably the most common congenital heart defect. And, and when you talk about stuff not being diagnosed, these kids are often missed for kind of a year, year and a half. And then somebody notices that, uh, you know, little Duncan is uh, <laughs> is meant to weigh kind of, you know, 10 kilos. And he only weighs six or five. And, mm. and why is he not growing? And, and why is he kind of doesn't really eat that well and you know he battles a bit uh, and then you know you kind of start investigating and you notice well half his blood which is meant to go the one way is actually going the one way but also going uh, the other way and and you have blood mixing essentially so instead of having good oxygen rich blood coming out of the left side of your heart you have a mixed you have a mixed blood so you kind of uh, not getting as much oxygen as you should to your tissues and that that's often caused by um when 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 the baby's born, and I said they take that first big breath and that that hole closes, so that's uh, that's related to a, a hormone and enzyme process where that hole's meant to close, and sometimes it just doesn't. So, okay. um, you know, well, See, I didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. So, so um, yeah, I mean, I I think uh, just from my limited experience with with this, it is as you say something that can be missed um, and uh, is underdiagnosed. Um, at any point, were they were they talking about any kind of surgery um, on on your son? Yeah, so he had um, uh, he would have needed three surgeries. Okay, he had his first surgery when he was one week old. And that was a shunt. Or, yes. Okay. Uh, they call it the Norwood procedure, and part of it is that they put in the shunt. Yes. Okay. All right. So just to explain, a shunt is when you move. 
a shunt is just like a pipe, essentially, or a movement of blood from one area to another. So it's going in one place, and you, you kind of want to move it where it's meant to be. So they, uh, a shunt can be from anywhere. We can connect a shunt from anywhere. So that's what they did with your son. Where yeah. was the shunt in, yeah. in him? It was in place of his aorta. Yeah. Okay, so it would have gone from the from the one ventricle there. Uh, it would have been a connection, basically. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you must you must demand that the doctors tell you they do every t- detail. Look, they do. They they were brilliant. Yeah. And that's one thing that I do feel good about. Mm. I do feel that we fought a good fight. Yeah. The good fight with yeah. him. You know, the doctors did as well. Um, but it's a lot of information. If you're not a medical person, yeah. you know, it's, it's no, look, I mean, <laughs> they, they try to tell you as much as they can. Hey, and then, uh, and then beyond that, uh, you kind of, uh, yeah. you know, you, you just, you, you've got to trust them really. Yes. Yeah, um, that's it, it. I do have to say it's nice to hear a parent who's gone through a horrific experience and, you know, a traumatic experience, but, um, you know, is, is kind of happy with the doctors, <laughs> uh, cause sometimes, you know, you know, we we have the opposite effect and, and yeah. especially if we not don't communicate nicely and, and don't make it very clear exactly what's happening every step of the way. Yeah. No, there was not one one moment where I felt out of the loop. Mm. Um I mean there were times where he wanted to speak to me, the surgeon wanted to speak to me. He would you know, get someone to call me to be like, Please can you come in at ten o'clock? And now I'm thinking, you know, the worst of yeah. the worst. He's phoning me to tell me it's all <laughs> Yeah, it's over, yeah. it's done and then he says I just wanted to tell you everything's looking good, you know, and I'm like, really send me an SMS. I think, really, I think, I think yeah, we're quite bad with a funny story about that. So someone who went for blood tests recently, and then the doctor was like, phoned them to come into the room, blood test, and they had a mole removed, and they thought they were going to get diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> you got to come into the room, but why? No, no, the doctor needs to talk to you. You know, yeah, they uh, make it such a serious. Um, situation oh we are serious people <laughs> um <laughs> except me i'm i'm a uh, you know something went wrong um <laughs> i don't have a good map for when i was built so it's all yeah, your it's chromosomes all it's, are out of yeah sin. i'm out of work um all right before we offend the community that has more than um normal chromosomes <laughs> um and 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 get hate mail um all right so you've had this experience you want to kind of um do good from it essentially yeah um, and you with heart kids. So, so tell us a bit about heart kids. Uh, we know about the soft side. Yeah. What are they doing? What is heart kids doing now? So it's basically to promote awareness. Mm. Um, we also provide support to families affected, uh, by, uh, CHD, which is congenital heart defect. So whether it be, uh, we've got WhatsApp groups going mm. all over the country in Cape Town, Durban. It's interesting Joe that technology and, and how technology oh, is being brilliant. used in support groups. So, I mean, these are people who may not have had access to support before. Yeah. Um, how many people are you reaching? Sure. Um, I would say a, a couple of hundred. Sure, that's. Uh, and you know, some of the some of the parents they they come, you know, they 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 surface and then mm. you know sometimes they they take a back stand and then they come back up and um, mm. so it's as the development of the child goes, I guess. Yeah, as you need it. Yeah. Um, and assumptively, I mean, you've you've you, you've got people at different stages. Um, yeah. You know, early on, as you were, and then I'm sure a few years on. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the kids who are like eight years old, nine years old. Um, who've, you know, had their, their main surgeries and now it's kind of just the maintenance, if I can call it yeah. that. 
so it's good. It's it's a very good platform because uh, without it, I wouldn't have had the fight. You know, if 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 I didn't sp- uh, meet one of the moms. Yeah. Or, or, and speak to the mom and, and she said to me, listen, cause her daughter was diagnosed with the same thing. And she came and she came literally in the, up to me in the hospital and she was like, you look so sad. Please can I speak to you? And she was, you know, and her baby was nine months old at the time and had the same thing, had been through two surgeries and was doing relatively fine. So, you know, to give you those success stories mm. is good encouragement. Sure. All right, so I mean, we've got these sort of support groups going. What else? What else is happening, or what else are the goals? Because it's a relatively new uh, yeah. group, and you know, we, where are we going with it? So look, so uh, the biggest mission I would say is that parents become informed. So mm. if I had known about uh, CHD, how common it was. Maybe I would have pressed my doctors and asked the questions, you know, yeah. and not just taken it at face value. Yeah. And that's what, you know, just if, if another mom just hears like, hears about it and asks about it or a friend of another mom or something, mm. that's, that's, that's it. Okay. Um, there are times where we also do provide financial support. Um, yeah. I mean, I wanted to get to that because yeah. you came, you were in the private setting, yes. which once you've, uh, you know, got the private health care and, and that's great. And, and if you're in a position to have that, yes. um, however it is, and we have discussed it on the show before, you know, in terms of uh, even getting the, the bottom of the range uh, medical cover just to kind of tide you over. Um, but you, once you're in there, you kind of have access to, to all of these doctors, to yes. all of the scans, to, to the IC, these lovely ICUs where, you know, the, the level is really, the level of care is top notch. Um, in the government sector, it depends where you are. You may have the exact same access to doctors and you may have the same access to that type of ICU. But if you're in the middle of a rural area or you're uh, kind of being messed around by the system, That's it. Um, it, it could be a problem. And, and, and you, you may find yourself almost on a waiting list with your baby for, for a surgery um, and kind of desperate as well. Yeah, that's it. So we have a lot of families that come from far. Um, and that's where we try and help out because maybe it's, you know, even if we're helping with a, a tank of petrol mm. or a plate of food because, you know, it's coming from far for not only for the child's surgery, but they've got to stay somewhere and find accommodation. The whole family is uprooted and recovery yeah. from these ops, you know, it's not like Weeks. a three day thing and then sure. you go home. Sure. It's not an adult surgery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's a heart surgery. I mean, I think that's to be remembered. Even with adults, when we do heart surgery on adults, they're in hospital for also weeks, yeah. usually. And that's if everything goes well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely. So offering support in that way, in, in terms of the surgeries, have you been involved in kind of arranging any of that yet? Are you looking to get involved in that, you know, helping people with that? Um, we... We are involved with, uh, if I could say, connecting people. So mm. um, there have been, you know, a case where uh, we've 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 uh, helped a mom and directed her in the right direction and put her in touch with people who mm. need to be put in, you know, that that can help out. Um, but it's uh, it's the government hospitals. It's it's a long, tough battle. Sure, tough sure. battle. 
All right, I tell you what, let's take a let's take a short break, and uh, when we come back, let's talk a bit more success stories, uh, <laughs> maybe some horror stories if you have any, um, and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, what your organisation could do with, and and, and if right. anyone can maybe help you. And coming back to the health hour, uh, we're chatting congenital heart defects for the first uh, sort of half of the show. Um, Bev Ownhouse in studio. Uh, she's uh, mom of uh, a kid who unfortunately passed away um, with a congenital heart defect, um, and um, she's uh, taken it uh, uh, as a, an experience to create something positive um, and to to uh, be part of uh, helping others who experience a similar thing. So um, she's part of an organisation called Heart Kids. The the, the website address. Okay, so that's uh, that's easy and straightforward. <laughs> um, and they obviously you can find all the contact info there. Everything. So you, you can donate <laughs> through the site. We'll, we'll get to donations. <laughs> Let's leave that. You know, it's always nice. You give them a whole pitch and then you then you line them up for the donations. So, um, all right. So I said we, we talk about some success stories, but you, you, we were discussing off air. You know, there are a lot of success stories. I assume that parents who go through the surgeries and, and, and you know, you, yeah. from your guys' side, it's more of a support type thing. Yes. So it's yes. offering, offering them support, uh, letting them have access to people who've been through this before. Yeah. Okay. And also a lot of the time in, in terms of success stories, you know, uh, these heart problems are often continual problems. So you never beat it, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah, a you, daily absolutely. thing that you've got to and, and, and there may be damage afterwards, you know, that, that, that the child, as they grow and become an adult, you know, may have for the rest of their life. So, yeah. you know, if, if even though the problem's been fixed, the, the damage in the time before the problem was fixed may be lifelong. So, yeah. you, you know, you may have kids who can't necessarily partake in sport that much or or uh, later in life go on to develop heart problems, heart failure and things like that. Well, that's why early diagnosis is so important. Good. So we've terrified parents to be um, <laughs> because uh, we've now told them a few things. One is that the map of ba- making a baby is actually quite difficult. Well, um, I hate using the word, but 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 miracle is, is kind of like uh, in terms of all the things that need to come together. Um, and... Uh, you know, we kind of given them your story and everything was fine, textbook pregnancy, and uh, then, you know, it kind of didn't work out that way. So what, uh, what do parents need to know? Because uh, you can imagine if someone's pregnant and they're listening to this now, they are freaking out. Yeah. So what's your advice? So the main thing is, so during pregnancy, the heart forms within the first 55 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when you ask the questions, you know, does my baby's heart have the four chambers that it's supposed to? And mm-hmm. does it have the two main vessels leading in and out of the heart? You know, and the that way the doctor should look at it and be able to tell you. Um, another thing that they use is called a, a pulse ox. Uh, and that's after the baby's born. It happens just after the baby's mm. born. And it's a device which you strap to the baby's foot or the baby's hand. Yeah, I'm sure people have seen it on TV if they haven't had it one themselves. It's that thing that shines red and they stick it in your finger yes. usually. Yeah, but 
a baby it's on the hand yeah or the hand or the foot the whole hand or <laughs> yeah. the whole foot because it's tiny yeah so and that measures the amount of oxygen um in the hands and the feet and through that they can uh you know kind of determine whether there may be a problem or may not be a problem it's not a definitive uh, you know, screening device, mm. but it it could indicate whether there's a problem or not, and it's relatively inexpensive. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and that's something that even clinics will have. Yeah, um, sure. So, I, just to, to talk about those two things, I think one of the problems we have is that uh, certainly in in the private s- sector of healthcare, you always end up getting a, a an ultrasound scan. Uh, in the public sector, it's not a guarantee. Uh, ideally, we'd like to scan everyone at least once in their pregnancy yeah. before 20 weeks yeah. um, of gestation. Um, but that doesn't always happen. And, and that's probably why sometimes we, we would miss things. Yeah. And then even in, in, in the private sector, you know, um, bear in mind that each specialist is their specialist in their field. So um, fetal medicine is actually a super speciality. Um, and... Uh, there are actually very few fetal medicine specialists, and, and, and so if there's a small thing that kind of is difficult to spot, it is possible that you, that you, the person doing your scan might miss it, yeah. be it your gynae or whoever it may be. Yeah. Um, so those are the two things, but uh, essentially a scan and then once baby's born, well, then you'll know about it. Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna, they hopefully you're going to pick up on it. Yeah, ask. That's the thing, ask. Is my baby's heart okay? <laughs> Just ask. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair, fair, fair enough. Um, all right, and and then we've 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 kind of got a resource issue in terms of uh, doctors because, and I, you know, unfortunately, this is something we keep banging on about every week, but it's yeah. the truth. Um, what's your experience? It's 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 sad in South Africa because um, according to the amount we, yeah, according to the latest statistics that I read, we need eighty eight pediatric cardiologists in South Africa to keep up with our population mm. with CHD. And we've only got 25. Sure. So um, there's a, a massive lack of resources. And, uh, and I think people need to understand that those people, so it's medical school, which uh, essentially is um, sort of, by the time you're done with all the other stuff, uh, internships, co- community services, and etc., it's 10 years to just train your standard doctor. Um, and then uh, thereafter, it's another four years to train your pedi- pediatrician. <laughs> and thereafter, it's another two to three years to train your uh, pediatric cardiologist. So you are talking uh, in the region of 15, 16 years to train a pediatric cardiologist. So we, it's not an easy thing. It's not done overnight. Um, and I, okay. I can tell you that the cardiology side of things, to, you know, because it's a super speciality. Um, once you're a pediatrician, you then kind of got to go, yes, I'm a pediatrician, but I'm going to go, you study <laughs> over and above it, uh, and, and to get a, to even get positions to go and study that extra bit, because someone's got to pay you while you study for those extra two, three years. Um, they got to pay you a salary, um, while you, while you kind of learn the, the ropes. Um, bearing in mind, you're already quite senior in things. So we're short of them. Um, and is this something your organization's seeing sort of a problem with? Yeah. We actually uh, work uh, quite closely with the Pediatric Cardiology Society of South Africa, and that's run by a board of um, pediatric cardiologists. Five of the, yeah. the 25 yeah, that they are. That's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly it. Um, and it's a problem they're aware of, but, you know, what difficult, do you, what difficult do you to do? do. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it is, uh, and everyone's uh, fighting for resources. That's the truth. Um, you know, the uh, there's lots of areas of medicine, but certainly this is a this is quite a noble noble area. Um, yeah. Uh, and the problem is, a lot of these um, cardiologists are also they're older, so we don't have a lot of the young ones coming up. A, that's a hint, you see. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I can't deal with kids. But, uh, <laughs> but no, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, well, look, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, it's a, it's a separate issue, but uh, certainly there's a brain drain in South Africa. We, we yeah. know we lose a lot of our doctors. Yeah. Um, I don't think we look after our doctors as well as we should, certainly in the public sector. Um, and, uh, they, when they find other opportunities, they take, they take them up. Um, all right. So, Let's leave the politics for a second. We did a whole political show last week. Um, so, from in terms of you, where to from here? I just for now, I'm just I just want to help. That's it. Uh, yeah. For me, we just um, you know I'm here. If if any of other parents wants to uh, speak about it, maybe they think they're going through uh, the same kind of thing. Um, or if they're unsure about anything, they can, um, yeah, um, just, you know, ask the questions that need to be asked. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, make that pitch. Uh, <laughs> so essentially if, uh, anyone wants to donate, obviously individual donors, um, or corporates, or corporates uh, I had someone on Twitter, um, Carol just sent me a message, you know, she had a baby 23 years ago who also passed away from congenital, from a congenital heart defect. Um, and who knows, maybe she's uh, someone who's got contacts now and, and, and there wasn't a group like this before and there was no one to support her when she went through this. Yeah. Um, as, uh, you weren't even aware of, of it when, when you went through it. So, yeah. um, to get the word out there to, to be able to, to give more in what your organization's doing. Um, That's it. I mean, you know, I, my chances of Down syndrome was one in 1,000, hmm. right? But I read everything about it and I read books and books just in case, just in case, you know, but why didn't I know about, about congenital heart defects? That's defect. it. Sure. All right. So, well, so one in 1,000 versus one in 100. 100. So, <laughs> www.heartkids.co.za. Yeah. And, uh, if you go along there, there's a donate button. There's a donate button. All right. I and think there are actually two. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can donate, uh, as, um, personally or, or, or uh, as, as a company. And, uh, they really would appreciate uh, any help you can, you can provide. Yeah. We've got, um, it's International Congenital Heart Defects Week coming up in February. Uh, from the 7th to the 15th. Okay. Um, and we are uh, selling ribbons, so CHD ribbons, which are red and blue. Um, and we also, uh, one of our initiatives is wrapping trees. So, you know, if you, for 50 Rand. I like rand, the breast cancer thing. Yes, that's okay. it. So for 50 Rand, we'll give you a meter of red, a meter of blue, wrap up your tree and get people to ask you questions as to why you're doing it. <laughs> Lovely. So spreading awareness, that's fantastic. It's always great to teach people about health and make sure that they, they're educated because uh, if you, you know, knowledge, uh, knowledge is so important in these things. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank and, you for the uh, opportunity to spread awareness. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for giving us your story. It's uh, still fresh and, uh, and really appreciate it. Right. Thanks, John. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, debating e-cigarettes. Ain't nobody got a Friday.
the last bit of the health hour, uh, and uh, we're going to have a, a we're going to try to do a bit of a debate. Uh, our system doesn't allow us to have both of them shouting at each other at once. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, we've got uh, Arba Vector from the Daily Maverick on, and uh, Nahama Brody, who uh, is a journalist who writes uh, for, amongst others, the uh, Men's Health magazine. Um, so let me uh, let me start off by making sure they can both hear me. Uh, Arbo, can you hear me? I can indeed. Nice to be with you again. Okay, thanks. Thanks for joining us. And um, N- Nakama, you there? I'm here. Perfect. All right. So, uh, ladies first, if uh, that's not uh, too patriarchal. Um, tell us, uh, you wrote an I article. Think, I, think the word, I think the word you're looking for is condescending, but I'll go with it. <laughs> We're good for that. I can, yeah. be, um, I, I can be both. Um, <laughs> I know. So... So, um, yes, like most men on that particular subject, um, you wrote an article in uh, in the Men's Health uh, not too long ago, looking at e-cigarettes. Uh, what was uh, what was the gist for the listeners who haven't read it? When Men's Health asked me to look at doing a story on e-cigarettes, um, we weren't looking for major drama. What the editor asked me to investigate was what did you need to know if you were considering e-cigarettes, if you were a smoker trying to quit, if you were being exposed to them, what was sort of the the basic information that you needed to know? So I researched e-cigarettes and the phenomenon known as vaping. Now, I think that was the word of the year, was vape, the Oxford Dictionary word of the year, Um, and tried to understand, first of all, how they'd come about, you know, how how they were actually built, not just because I was writing for a men's magazine, but is sort of part of me that was fascinated how this tiny little structure could sort of achieve this uh, incredible nicotine delivery. Mm. Um, and that's also, that's what they're known as, electronic nicotine delivery, you know, system. And, and they're, they're, they're quite beautifully designed. So that was the first uh, thing that I looked at. And then I looked at how did they become so popular? Because over the last few years, the electronic cigarette market has started to run into the billions of dollars as it's become more popular. Mm. Um and and so that's kind of important. It's something that we're seeing a lot more. A lot more smokers, ex-smokers are using them. People are using them either recreationally or because they don't want to smoke normal cigarettes anymore. And so understanding how this thing works is key to also understanding how it, how your body uses it and how it delivers nicotine to you. Yeah. And within that, what could be the possible risks? And I think what was most interesting for me is there's just a lot of stuff we don't know. And I say this as a sometimes smoker. I say this as an electronic cigarette user. I'm always interested in what am I doing to my own body. Um, Because electronic cigarettes were never developed as medical devices and because they didn't go through clinical trials or tests, um, they arrived on the market with a lot of information that still needs to be filled in. And now what's happening is because they're so popular, we're essentially going back and trying to fill in all this missing information. Okay. Um, and, and so that's actually where I almost wound up with my article was, we don't know a lot of things. And I mentioned that most of the major world health authorities at this point are very opposed to electronic cigarettes. First of all, because they just don't know whether or not they, the, the electronic cigarettes themselves cause any harm. Mm. Um, secondly, there's obviously a concern that a new type of nicotine delivery device will create a new generation of smokers or the kids will think electronic cigarettes are cool 
And I think that's a valid concern when you look at, for example, these grape-flavored and bubblegum-flavored electronic cigarettes. Um, they are appealing cigarettes. to the market. But at the same time, what I also started picking up from the medical community and from the researcher, medical research that I spoke to in South Africa was that for doctors and medical experts who are dealing with the fallout of normal cigarette smoking, which is, you know, millions of people being affected every single year, people, I mean, it's, it's, there is no healthy way to use a cigarette, um, <laughs> is that doctors were saying, by and large, the sort of the trend seemed to be, well, we don't really know very much right now, but it can't be worse for you than cigarettes. And so, I mean, I, I think it'd be hard to find anything worse than cigarettes. I mean, you know, shooting hard drugs is probably worse than cigarettes. But, yeah, probably. But basically, but basically the, the consensus seems to be that even with our scientific study, more and more doctors were willing to consider electronic cigarettes as a, a healthier alternative. Or, to as, or as a quitting device. No, there's, there's no, um, and I know Ivo's going to disagree with this. Yeah, can we give, can we give Ivo, can we give Ivo a chance? No, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's really nothing yet that definitively proves that they help you quit. That mm. said, the quitting stuff that is out there isn't helping the millions of other people who are affected. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a kind of, not a catch-22, but it's a difficult situation. Sure. Now Ivo can talk. Okay. Oh, good. Um, there you go, Ivo. Um, you've got permission. Um, so essentially, uh, I mean, I, from my side as well, this is from, from the medical doctor side, um, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't done as much research as the, as the two of you, but uh, in, in what I've looked up and, and, and what I can find, um, the evidence medicine really is catching up with this. It's, 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 uh, Nakama's correct in that it didn't go through like what a drug trial would go through. So it's kind of like e-cigarettes arrived and, uh, there are a lot of claims. Um, and essentially the science is still catching up. Um, you've written an article for the Daily Maverick and, um, as usual, you're always uh, accused of uh, lobbying for, uh, big oil and big tobacco and big pharma. Um, this time you've gone off the big tobacco, um, and big pharma. Um, tell us a bit about your perspective. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's two ways that governments want to regulate it, right? And they make exactly the claim that Nakama made is that we don't know enough about it. We don't know enough about the risks. And we can't say for sure that it actually helps people quit. Um, uh, the, the two regulatory options is to make it uh, equivalent to tobacco, complete with the advertising bans and so on that that entails, which is what they've done in the States, for example, mm. or to make it equivalent to medicine, right, which is available on prescription with medical supervision and subject to clinical trials and so on. Um, mm. And that seems to be the route that Africa wants to go. Now, you know, let's address a number of the, the issues. The, the question of harm, uh, it, it has been addressed. You know, it has been, there probably can be more research uh, done, uh, but research has been done. Now, we know from years of research that nicotine itself is a cheap, common, and fairly safe drug on its own. Right? It's an addictive stimulant, but then so is caffeine. Yeah. Um, all of the chromatography analysis that I've seen of this e-liquid stuff, right, which contains nicotine, it contains a solvent or a combination of solvents, and some flavorant, shows that nicotine is the only toxic component in that liquid. Right? Um, you, you probably might get some other dodgy, dodgy substances, but I certainly haven't seen any analysis that, um, that suggests otherwise. So without any further research at this point, you can then easily conclude that these things are not only safer than cigarettes, but orders of magnitude safer than cigarettes. Because they don't contain the four thousand odd chemicals and cost yeah, they, they aren't as bad as cigarettes, which I think the Nakama did uh, sort of allude to. I mean, there, there is sort of at the moment I mean, I, this I, feeling. I, 
I'd go so far as to say that, you know, from both my personal experience and from what I've seen in the research, um, I, I, I'd wager that an e-cigarette liquid is probably less harmful than a cup of coffee. Okay. Um, <laughs> I might disagree with you there, but okay. The only study that I could find that concluded any harm caused by e-cigarettes was one that tested lung function, right? And it found that you absorb somewhat less oxygen after inhaling e-cigarette vapor. And I thought, well, isn't that sort of the point? getting your lungs to absorb something other than oxygen. The effect of this is far less serious than with tobacco, um, again, obviously. You know, I had, a, I had a, a lung doctor argue with me yesterday, and, and the best he could do was raise this study, uh, and then to point out that smoking tobacco with a hooker is bad for you. And I thought, okay, well, does he even know what an e-cigarette is? <laughs> All right, uh, so, so, I mean, you know, from, from what, what would be... Uh, uh, you know your 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 argument. Uh, I mean, you're saying essentially that they're uh, safe as a cup of coffee, which I'm not sure I agree with you because nicotine. You know, we we just uh, we don't know how much they're taking, and nicotine in large doses is actually highly poisonous. Um, whereas whereas I mean, caffeine to get uh, to the level of killing yourself is virtually impossible. Um, it, watch, watch, some, watch some people <laughs> raving on these energy drinks. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, it, it, it's uh, the, the the problem. Is, so you would like the you would like e-cigarettes to kind of be completely unregulated, well, or, or very lightly regulated. Um, I don't want them to fall either under tobacco or under medicine because I think both of them throw up huge barriers to to their popularity and their use. Yeah, um, you know. They're pleasant to use, they're popular, and, and there's research that shows that they work. You know, Again, it's not a lot of research. Yeah, um, so there was a, a, study, a study done in Belgium among smokers who had no intention of quitting. Mm. Right? They were given e-cigarettes. After two months, 34% of them had quit. All right. So I'm going I'm to... Yeah? Yeah. I'm going to butt in there, and I'm, I'm going to give it back to Nakama, but I'm going to make a point, which is, uh, so this is the problem with the evidence. So there is that, that Belgian study. There's also a study done in the U.S., and all of these studies are relatively weak levels of evidence, I must say. Um, so one way or the other. Um, the study done in the U.S. published in the Journal of American Medical Association says uh, that they gave e-cigarettes and um, to smokers to quit, and essentially versus any other methods, it, it made no difference. It's it's it it didn't help okay, well, um, cessation. That's the worst you can say about them. Then uh, no, no. I, I, different studies look at different things. Let's let's give Nakamura a go though to, um, to, you know, to 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 speak about some of the stuff you mentioned. Um, Nakamura, your opinion on, you know, John, on the regulation? What's, what's interesting here is that um, the the research I spoke to in South Africa, who did the first local study on e-cigarettes, also mm. a very small sample. Mm. But what she raised with me when I when I interviewed her for Men's Health was that there was a very big difference um, in the in the um, delivery and in the safety of different brands of e-cigarettes. And where I think regulation is important, whichever, whether it falls under tobacco or under medical products, is we know it delivers nicotine, right? But as with anything else, there's a reason why we have, you know, drug regulation, so that if it says this has got X much, you know, aspirin in it, that's, we know it has that. And now there's such a wide variety of e-cigarette devices on the market um, I don't believe that they're all equal. We don't know how they perform yet, what else they have with them. 
which ones are kind of dodgy knockoffs that are made to supply an increasingly valuable market. Yeah. And and I think I think that's where it becomes important. It's like they might be delivering nicotine to you, but there are studies that suggest that just through the simple act of, of heating is a little coil inside the cigarette that heats the, the, the solution that contains the nicotine. Mm. And that solvent itself has other chemicals in it. And when it gets heated, we don't know what we're inhaling. We don't know what heating of those chemicals changes them. We don't know if the vapor that gets exhaled um, is harmful to other people around us in the same way that secondary smoke from cigarettes we know very definitely is. So, as a, so there's a lot of things that we don't really know yet. Um, and also, as I said, there's a huge variety. One cigarette is not the same as the other. And in order to know exactly what you're getting, how much nicotine you're getting, what else you might be breathing in with your vapor, there definitely needs to be some kind of monitoring and regulation of the market. And the problem is that when it falls under tobacco legislation, well, I mean, tobacco legislation is effectively marketing. It's not really uh, health legislation. I mean, what it does is it says you can't sell stuff to, to kids. You can't sell mm. tobacco to under-16s or whatever it is. Um, and you've got to stick huge labels on the packet that says, this will kill you. Um, that's kind of where tobacco legislation leaves us. It doesn't necessarily regulate the quality. And the only things you can't add to cigarettes, obviously, or you shouldn't, unless they're knockoff dodgy ones that fell off the back of the truck, would be, you know, mothballs or rat poison or whatever else occasionally gets found in, in cigarettes. In but with e-cigarettes, because e-cigarettes fall into this sort of definition gap, we don't know what's going into them. And, and we know from long experience that the world is not really ethical. <laughs> you know? We can't well, assume that... Well, well it's, it's a business first, probably. It's safe, you know. So, um, yeah. you know, so maybe by default we could say, okay, well, I'll choose an established brand, and that's probably more likely to be safer than a smaller brand. But like at this stage, there's just a lot we don't know. And I think a regulatory framework, I mean, I was correct, it causes a lot of problems as well, and it's sponsored by the wrong people who actually don't have our best interests at heart, generally. Um, they, what they want to do is sell stuff, and to be honest, Big Tobacco wants to keep us hooked on nicotine, um, yeah. which is why all the Big Tobacco companies are now launching their own brands so, or buying out established brands of e-cigarettes. So, that's, so it, yes, we take it with a pinch of salt, but it, it does need some framework to work in. Okay, exactly the question I want to get into for the last five minutes. So firstly, um, it's interesting that you raise that. And once again, it's it just shows the lack of evidence. So there was a headlines in the past week, I think it was, uh, you know, they had a Japanese study found that uh, yes. they've got well, these yeah, 10 times the amount of carcinogens <laughs> and, and formaldehyde. The problem is if you go look for the for the evidence that they've got for that, it was a government-sponsored study which they won't release the results for and it hasn't been peer-reviewed. So um, you know, one would assume they're not completely lying about their results, but you can't actually access anything, so you can't take them yeah, as credible. And it doesn't tell you which brand. It doesn't tell you which brand of e-cigarettes it was, and it, there's a difference. So, yeah. You know, how it, does that apply to all e-cigarettes or just that one? Oh. These are things that we, we need to figure out pretty soon, I guess. All right, let's uh, swing it back to Ivo. I just I, I want to uh, just quickly on the point, which is a lot that has been made about the tobacco industry. Um, and Ivo, you did allude to this in your article, not even allude to it. You were just part of your article. Um, there's a there's a lot around this concept. So firstly, we've got e-cigarettes is a growing industry. Both you and Nakama have 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 said that um, in your pieces. Um, we've got uh, the sort of accusation sometimes that uh, it's almost 
now being used as a gateway. So an e-cigarette is being used as a gateway to cigarettes. Um, I, before we took you guys on, uh, my controller said to me, you know, he thinks that it increases smoking from his opinion because people can smoke e-cigarettes indoors. So they'll do the e-cigarettes indoors and then he feels they transition to cigarettes in, in, in other times when they in social groups or whatever. Um, you know, what's your, your, your take on that? There was a, there was actually a study done on exactly that question. Uh, in fact, there were two, but I've only got one in front of me right now. There's a study of 1,300 users of e-cigarettes in the U.S., right? and it turned out that only one right, had been a non-smoker who subsequently went on to smoke cigarettes. Okay. Right? One, out of thir- one out of 1,300. I saw another study that said something like uh, 96% of all e-cigarette users are smokers or ex-smokers. So that leaves 4% that... that you know, are, are not traditional nicotine users and presumably might go to cigarettes. So, uh, so if that's the case, why is why are they investing so heavily? Uh, is it just to, to expand their markets? Tobacco or? Company. Yeah, tobacco, tobacco companies, companies are terrified of e-cigarettes, right? Tobacco companies are terrified of e-cigarettes. They lost my business this year, right? And I was a very good customer of theirs for many, many years. <laughs> yes, you were. Right? They lost my business because I bought an e-cigarette, I quit smoking two weeks later, and I quit the e-cigarette three months after that, and I haven't touched it since. Mm. Um, the tobacco companies don't like this. This is bad for business, right? So now what are, what are they going to do? First thing they're going to do is they're going to buy the e-cigarette company so that at least they have that revenue too, right? So that they don't lose out on that revenue. But what I've also seen is that um, one of the big tobacco companies in the state immediately started putting huge uh, health warnings on the e-cigarette. And I said, now why are they doing that? Since when do tobacco companies put bigger health warnings on there than the regulators require of them? Um, there's something really fishy here. And it, it, it makes sense if you think that they don't want you to stop smoking. They actually want you... They want, they want to, to scare you out of e-cigarettes into smoking normal that cigarettes. That convince you that you shouldn't even be buying their e-cigarettes. Right? Yeah. They're, trying, they're trying to stigmatize the whole e-cigarette mm. thing and trying to get you back to normal cigarettes. Yeah. All right. So, look... Uh, Let's, uh, uh, Avo, let me, uh, uh, ask you just 30 seconds, uh, just summarize, um, where we are and where you think we should go. Um, you know, I think it'd be greatly in the interest of public health, right? That e-cigarettes can be easily sold and used, um, as widely as possible, right? There is evidence that they work, uh, and there is, so far, there is, you know, all the research we have indicates that they are safe and effective. Um, now, pharmacies and tobacco companies would both hate that because they would lose out on business, but regulators are not there to protect big business. Right? When a disruptive startup business like this shakes up an industry, regulators ought, ought not to stand in its way. They need to act in the public interest, and I think it is seriously in the public interest to help people quit, and that's what these things do. Okay. Uh, Nakama, let's, uh, let's uh, give you 30 seconds, same story, uh, where you think we are, where you think we should go. I think that smoking regular cigarettes is one of the stupidest things anybody can do with their life. And if e-cigarettes are going to be made more easily available, then it needs to go together with a wider public health message that discourages people from starting either e-cigarettes or normal cigarettes. The point is that kids are always going to experiment. That's how most of us started smoking in the first place. Whether it's a real cigarette or a fake one, it doesn't matter. The point is don't start in the first place because it's bloody difficult to stop. Absolutely. All right. So, I, I mean, I think, uh, thank you to both of you for, uh, for joining us. Um, so, uh, 
it, it's uh, sorry, just a comment that's come through the studio, which is highly inappropriate. Um, but uh, thank you to both of you for coming onto the show. Really appreciate it. Um, two different perspectives. Um, Nakama, can we find your article still online? Yeah, if anybody goes onto the Men's Health website, um, or if they just Google Men's Health and e-cigarettes, it's mh.co.za, and the entire article's there, and it just it goes into quite a lot of detail. It's I think quite interesting in terms of the, the basics, what what you need to know. Perfect, uh, Avo. Same story with you. Uh, you've uh, you've got your article on the Daily Maverick website. Yeah, dailymaverick.co.za, and if you look down the right hand column, you'll find my my. My column there. Perfect. The previous one was also about big tobacco. Okay, and and tons of comments, which uh, which you, you've also, uh, as always, no, provided no, good reply no, to. No, loads of comments. Yeah, some some, some doctors backing me, and others and others arguing with <laughs> me. It's been great fun. All right, perfect. Thank you to both of you for coming on the show. Uh, always, uh, it's an interesting debate from my perspective. I still don't think we have enough info. I tend to agree that uh, we at least need to know. Uh, uh, what's coming out of each of the brands. Uh, it would help, uh, and uh, lots of uh, research still required on this. Uh, that's the end of the Health Hour for the week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And uh, I won't be back next week. Cindy Fanzel standing in for me, but I'll see you on the 17th.